This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Freeby, and this week, we're in Kansas. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to the skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. And when you hear the cold, you know so well, sisters speak out. Welcome back to 50 Feminist States. This is the Kansas episode, but technically it's really the Kansas City episode of the podcast. And I'm coming to you from State Line Road, which I actually don't even know if this road is in Kansas or in Missouri. Um, because when you're driving or walking along it, you look to your left, you see Kansas, you look to your right, you see Missouri or vice versa. Uh, and you really do realize how much literally crossing an intersection can put you in one state or another. And so this is the Kansas City episode of the podcast. Um, and just another reminder of something I said in the very first episode of this podcast back in Nebraska of how arbitrary borders are in the U.S. and at the same time, how much real impact they have on people's lives. And I think that this road, State Line Road, really does show that. The fact that you can live 12 feet away from somebody and technically live under different laws. And Kansas City is just such a, a fascinating place to think about that. And it's going to come up in today's interview as well. So this episode, I spoke to Dr. Valerie French, who is a physician, an OBGYN, living in Missouri, working in Kansas. She's originally from Missouri, left to do residency and fellowship, and came back a few years ago to really be back in the community that she grew up in. And particularly to be an OBGYN here and to talk about abortion here and I think to help educate uh, all sorts of people that we'll hear about during the episode about reproductive care. So it's a really amazing episode. I was so honestly honored to speak with a physician who's done so much work in this area. I think coming from my sort of reproductive justice background, I feel like I am relatively educated and know what I'm talking about when I talk about abortion. But then I talk to a physician and I realize there's just so much more for me to learn. So we're going to learn so much in this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. So I'll go ahead and let Dr. French reintroduce herself and tell you a little bit about her work. So my name is Valerie French. I am an OBGYN that practices in Kansas City. We are in my home right now in Parkville, Missouri, um, which is not too far where I grew up. I'm a native Missourian and I moved home about three years ago and it's been really, really nice to be living back home. I think that a lot of people um, overlook Missouri and I know we've been in the news quite a bit, not always for the best here recently. Um, but my hometown I felt was a really wonderful place to grow up and thrive. I have a very clear memory of driving down the street with my mom and a friend of hers. And my mom said to me, Hey, Valerie, who's that person walking down the street? And her friend was like, she doesn't know who that is. And I, of course I knew who it was. And she was like, yeah, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And you feel really safe and loved and so it is really nice to be close to home again. There are certainly drawbacks to this area, but globally, this is these are my people. 
After hearing about her relationship with Missouri and Kansas, I asked if she could talk about her path to becoming a doctor, particularly an OBGYN. A lot of people ask me about that, and I was that kid that always wanted to be a doctor from the time that I could remember. I have some really clear memories of watching Star Trek with my dad, and I thought Dr. Crusher was just so cool. She was smart and pretty and always had an answer, plus all these cool gadgets, and people looked up to her, and I thought, well, I want to do that. And I really enjoyed science, and so it was just a natural progression to go to medical school. Um, There was never a moment where I thought about doing anything other than medicine. So I went to medical school in Missouri, and I got a very well-rounded education in primary care and the basics of medicine, but we never got any education about abortion care or um, like training or exposure to abortion at all. Actually, we just didn't talk about it. With the exception of one morning, we had um, one of our attending physicians who was really invested in medical student education and really looked up to by me and my colleagues. He would sit down with us every morning and review kind of a bread and butter topic in obstetrics and gynecology. And one of his topics that he talked about was why he was personally very opposed to abortion. And so that was my medical school experience with abortion knowledge. However, I joined a a student group in medical school, like college. There's a whole bunch of like student interest groups called Medical Students for Choice. And I got to participate in a bunch of conferences and learn from outside physicians. And I knew that I really wanted to get abortion training in my residency. And I also knew, I'm not really sure how, but from very early in medical school, probably about four weeks in, that I wanted to be an OBGYN. Again, I just was like, that's my path. This mm-hmm. just feels natural, and I never really considered anything else. Um, so when I interviewed for residency, that's something that I asked about to say, hey, you know, what kinds of things do you do to make sure your residents are trained in abortion care? And I got mixed responses. I interviewed on the coast, and people looked at me like, why are you asking? It's the standard part of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And When I interviewed in more so in the Midwest, people would say, well, you know, we don't have any residents who want that training or I'm sure if we really wanted to make it happen, we probably could. And actually, my my favorite conversation was at the program where I trained, which gave me some insight to how pragmatic the leader of the program was. She said, well, Valerie, we're we're here in Nebraska. What do you think it's like? (laughs) I was like, oh, she's a very aware person. So anyway, I I ended up going to Nebraska to train for OBGYN residency, which was a really good experience. But I wanted to grow my knowledge base and become more of an expert because I knew that I wanted to be an expert at home. I always wanted to come home to Kansas City because I moved away from medical school. I moved away for residency um, and I wanted to come back home. And so my path ultimately took me to the Family Planning Fellowship in San Francisco, where I got extraordinarily good training in both abortion care, but also in research. So my research was focused in Nebraska, which is the place that I was most familiar with women's health care from the angle of being a physician. I had so many questions for Dr. French that I had prepared and was so excited to talk about. But when we were talking, I had to pause and just ask if she could go back a second to what she talked about, where she never even learned how to perform an abortion in medical school. And I was frankly shocked that such a common medical procedure wasn't taught. And I asked her if that really was a norm or an exception. 
that's a discrepancy in medical education that many people, myself included, are trying to fix. If you think about some really common procedures, um, so like an appendectomy, taking out someone's appendix, there's about 300,000 appendectomies every year, and there's over 900,000 abortions every year. And as a medical student, you would be appalled to exit medical school without a working understanding of what an appendectomy is. But many students graduate and don't have a clinical training or exposure to abortion. And it's very regionally dependent. And my hope is that it's increasingly getting better. So having had my question kind of confirmed that it is in fact a major discrepancy in medical education, whether or not doctors learn to perform abortions. I also wanted to take a quick second to have Dr. French explain to us what she's talking about when she refers to an abortion procedure. Well, I think common things being common, abortion is overwhelmingly the most common in the first trimester. So a first trimester abortion, be that a procedural abortion or a medical abortion. So with a medical abortion, a woman takes medications that induce bleeding and she passes the pregnancy at home. Some people prefer that because they feel like it's more natural and more private. Um, they don't have to have a pelvic exam. Um, the other option is to have a procedural abortion, sometimes called a uterine aspiration, where a straw is passed into the uterus and the pregnancy is removed that way. Some people prefer that option because they feel like it is um, more expeditious. You walk into the clinic, you have your procedure, and then you leave. And both are very, very safe. It's more about patient preferences um, early in pregnancy, which is the better option for the woman. Now that we had some of those early questions and uh, I guess even definitions on the table, I asked Dr. French to go back and tell us a little bit about her research that she did during her residency and fellowship, particularly because if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you might have heard the Nebraska episode where I talked to activists there, uh, herbalist and a midwife and a doula, um, about kind of their work surrounding birth and birthing and abortions in Nebraska. And we learned a lot in that episode about the ways that the state and the Catholic hospitals regulated abortion access as well as birthing access in the state. So because I knew Dr. French had done research in Nebraska, I asked if she could share a little bit about what that research was about and her findings. So as you alluded to, there the medical lay of the land in Nebraska is it's like a third to half of the hospital breads in the state are at Catholic hospitals. And so a very clear component of my training was we would have outside physicians come deliver at our hospital for those patients who wanted to have a tubal ligation or a sterilization procedure because they couldn't do it at the Catholic hospital. We um, definitely had to have very specific counseling with our patients about, we're going to give you these medicines to help resolve your miscarriage. There are only a certain number of pharmacies that you can go to to get them filled because there are pharmacists who will object to giving you these medicines. And I definitely got this sense as a resident that we didn't talk about abortion. Um, we as like the, the group of physicians that I was with. And it made me really wonder how we think about talking with women because like anything, if you don't practice, it feels weird and then you're kind of stumbling over words. And so I wanted to focus on how we refer women for abortion and how that impacts women's experiences. 
specifically in Nebraska. Because when I got to my fellowship in San Francisco, the way that we would talk about women and their pregnancies early on, so-and-so presents to the emergency department with bleeding and pregnancy, this is a desired pregnancy, X, Y, and Z. So-and-so presents with pain and pregnancy, this is an undesired pregnancy, X, Y, and Z. And that's not how we talked about pregnancies in Nebraska. The question of being desired or undesired, it was never reviewed with a woman. It was well, you're pregnant, so therefore you must want to be pregnant, so therefore we're going to do all the things to plug you into prenatal care. And that really struck me early on of, oh, well, that word, desired or undesired, highlights that you've had a discussion with a woman about what her feelings are. And in medicine, we're often really pressed for time and sitting down and talking with our patients is not always our strong suit. But I wanted to learn more about what women's experiences were with with referral or lack thereof. So I, my first um, study was to interview women who were presenting at an abortion clinic about how, how their conversations were with providers, be that midwives or nurse practitioners or physicians, about their pregnancy. And did they bring up the topic of abortion? Did they get referred to the clinic? Was it not discussed at all? Women said all kinds of things about what those conversations look like, and then did that impact their decision to abortion time? So from the time that they decided to have an abortion to the time that they actually had their abortion. And then the other study that I did was I surveyed all the primary care and OBGYN providers in the state of Nebraska about how they would refer for four common scenarios for abortion, for a fetal anomaly, so someone who needs specialty care, for cancer in gynecology, and another topic that is now I'm escaping me. <laughs> anyway, so how they would refer and really how people refer for abortion is very different in Nebraska than it is for anything else. You know, it's most care is very streamlined to say, like, I have a little button in my electronic medical record. If she needs such and such, I just click this button and everything goes. But for abortion, I either I don't do it at all or we don't talk about it. I had people write in like this never comes up. And I was like, are you talking to your patients at all? My patients don't want this. I've only ever referred one time and it was terrible and blah, blah, blah. So it was really fascinating to read what people wrote about those experiences. And I think highlighted that it's an area of medicine that we all could do better in. So we uh, we published both papers from those projects and specifically about abortion referral. We found that there's a couple different types of referrals. So there can be what we described as a facilitating referral. So a provider says, oh, okay, you know, you've expressed interest in having an abortion. These are places that you can obtain an abortion. Here's their phone number. You know, this is some of the things that you can expect. And if you want to check in with me at any time, no problem. So really like helping a woman navigate this process. Um, We found that there were some referrals that were just name only, like, okay, you want an abortion? Go to a Planned Parenthood. Um, And then the woman was like, sort of got a referral, but not necessarily facilitated her on her journey. There was the no referral of, I don't know what to do for you, or we're not going to talk about it. And then there were things that were actually working against a woman. So they would get referred to a crisis pregnancy center, which does not provide abortions, or get told misinformation about timeline or what would be safe for abortion care, et cetera. And it really spanned the range really quality referrals and thoughtful conversations to very disruptive and harmful to women. As Dr. French described, these really kind of problematic 
interactions that can happen when a person seeks an abortion or finds out that they're pregnant from a doctor and tries to have a conversation about abortion options. I realized that while I was not surprised that there were so many ways to do that poorly, the doctors could do that poorly, that there are so many different kinds of bad experiences that someone could have in that moment. I realized that I didn't know what a good one would look like. Like what would an abortion affirming OBGYN experience be like? So I asked Dr. French, what did she think? So one of my mentors um, in fellowship, her name is Alyssa Perucci, and she is really insightful and thoughtful about how women process pregnancy decision-making. And I always quote her because she says very wisely that really the patient has the answer. So you as a physician don't need to tell her things about what to do and what not to do. She really has the answer. She just needs to arrive at it. And so open-ended questions are very helpful to say, you're pregnant. How do you feel about that? And then explore all her feelings and really validate what her thoughts and experiences are. You know, I can tell that you are thinking very carefully about the children that you have at home as you navigate this process. Or I can tell that, you know, there are a lot of feelings surrounding how this might change your relationship with your partner. There's nothing that you know about her life that she doesn't already know way better than you. She has the answer. And just to be a witness to her experience can be really powerful. I loved this. I think that in my experience of what I sometimes call the medical industrial complex, um, but just going to doctors or being at hospitals. And I think something I've heard from many, many friends around me, like going to a doctor is such a disempowering experience. I feel so removed from my body. Like I know nothing about it and the doctor knows everything about it. So just hearing a physician say that, you know, in these conversations, it is the person who knows their body the best. And they have the answer. And the physician's role is to help guide them to resources that they may need and to affirm their experience. I just like, I was like finger snapping um, everywhere as she was saying this, not literally, but in my head, I was finger snapping because I was so appreciative of that. And while it did make me reflect on all of the times that doctors had made me feel like I didn't know anything about my body, particularly in like a gynecological setting, I was really happy to hear that there are physicians who are really thinking about this and thinking about how they can affirm people's experiences of their bodies in the conversations they have about reproduction with them. Having said all that, I wanted to hone in more on Kansas City and abortion access in this city that straddles the Kansas and Missouri borders. So Kansas City is both, as we mentioned in the beginning, in Kansas and in Missouri. So I wanted to hear from her, first of all, just where abortion clinics were and then what access looked like based on the different state regulations. There's one in Wichita, two in Kansas City. That's it in Kansas. There's one in Missouri. It's in St. Louis. That's it in Missouri. It's hard. So in Kansas City, there are two clinics that offer publicly offer abortion care. Both are on the Kansas side. So if you have the means to travel, then you can get an abortion in Kansas City. Both the clinics are located in an area that is not central to the city. And so I have definitely talked with patients who said, you know, I couldn't afford the bus fare to get to the clinic. Um, I've had patients say, like, I have no idea how I would get there, let alone just like the the logistics of transporting herself physically to the clinic, let alone paying for the abortion. Um, and so that makes it really hard for patients who 
you know, sometimes are making a decision to end their pregnancy because of financial concerns to additionally have to travel and take off work and find childcare to make their way to a clinic more than once. So some common things from, and that I'll say to my patients that they should be aware of in Missouri, there's the 72 hour waiting period. It's in-person counseling with the person who's going to provide your abortion. So that means that you physically have to be present with the doctor who's going to give you or provide your abortion care and then see them again 72 hours later. So for people who are traveling, that means that they need to think about that in their scheduling. And and the one clinic in Missouri is very thoughtful about communicating that on the phone. So I think that's the most real patient experience um, to know that there's that time delay, which particularly for women who are choosing to end a pregnancy later in pregnancy, it puts a lot of time pressure on them because you have to sort of start to walk back from, okay, if this is the last time that we are legally allowed to have an abortion, then we have to walk back even farther to make sure that we meet the 72-hour waiting period. In Kansas, the waiting period is 24 hours. It is documented by a paper consent that has to be printed on white paper and Times New Roman font. And so for women who have access to a printer, they can print it off online. Many patients don't have access to a printer, so they have to drive to the clinic or take a bus to the clinic to pick that up. Um, so that those experiences are important for them to know about just from timing. Um, there's no health insurance coverage for abortions. And if you have public insurance or private insurance, the law prohibits that um, your insurance covers an abortion. So I'm often talking about the cost of abortion with patients so that they have an awareness that it will be somewhere between $750 and $900 for a first trimester abortion. For minors in Kansas, there's two-parent notification. And in Missouri, there's parental consent. Um, So that changes the conversation you have with minors. I think those are the main ones that, from a patient standpoint, there's a lot of other regulations on the clinics themselves, but from a patient standpoint. The reality of abortion access in the United States right now is that every single state has restrictions on abortion access, and they're different in every state. So these can range from the fact that an abortion must be performed by a licensed physician or must be performed at a hospital or that it may be prohibited at a certain number of weeks. There may be, quote unquote, partial birth abortions banned. There may be limits around whether public funding, public insurance funding, or private insurance coverage can help pay for an abortion. Providers may refuse to provide abortions. There may be mandated counseling that includes information on um, all sorts of pseudoscience. There also may be waiting periods or parental involvement required for minors, one of the ones Dr. French just mentioned. So the Guttmacher Institute has an, a really amazing chart that really breaks down all of these different restrictions and which states they apply in. So I'll link to that in the show notes because I think it's really informative to look up the state you're living in and the restrictions they have, but also just interesting to kind of compare your state, a state you live in or state you may be from, to other states across the U.S., Um, But since this episode particularly focuses on Kansas City, I wanted to talk about the fact that Missouri had made the news over the summer, just a few weeks before I was there, for new statewide abortion regulations that had been passed or attempted to be passed. Um, And I asked if she could kind of explain those and compare them with the policies in place in Kansas. Well, I think the law that is most alarming in Missouri here recently is that the legislature passed a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, which many women don't know they're pregnant at that point. So you've 
functionally eliminated that option for a lot of women. Currently, Kansas does not have a six-week abortion ban. Right now that the ban in Missouri is not enforced, I I get the legal terms wrong, but you can still have an abortion in Missouri. That's the important point. But it highlights that the the political landscape has really started to interfere with medicine and women's health care. And as a physician, that's really problematic because you can have patients who are very sick and, you know, they their health could really deteriorate because of a pregnancy or have patients who are in a position where they really don't feel like they can raise a child or oftentimes another child. And depriving her of a safe option for care is really harmful to her and, and her family. And you can't write all those nuances into the law, right? Abortion is okay under X, Y, and Z circumstance. And I don't think that we should. I think women really do have the answer for what's right for them. And it's okay to trust them to make that decision. I just want to underscore this last statement that Dr. French made that people can and should be trusted with their own reproductive choices. And this is something that she mentions also in a speech that she gave in Missouri. It's actually one of the reasons I reached out to her because I saw on Facebook this moving public statement that she'd made at a rally about the realities that people in Missouri and Kansas face when trying to access abortion care and the ways in which these regulations have nothing to do with health and everything to do with controlling bodies, um, often from like the patriarchal viewpoint, controlling women's bodies. So I asked if she could share a little bit about her, how her participation in that rally came to be and what it meant to her. So, um, it, it came shortly after the Missouri legislature passed the six week abortion ban, which I was just so infuriated by because it shows such a lack of insight into women's experiences and and many other things. And it's very much a political move. It's not a patient or population-centered move. Um, And I had driven to Jefferson City to testify in opposition of the bill when it was in the Senate Health Committee, which was a really awful experience. Just to hear some of the commentary, one of our senators said to another physician who was testifying, I don't believe you. And that, you know, like as a physician, I really am only there on behalf of my patients. And to say that these are things that women experience and that laws like this will actually really harm women. And you know that Pollyanna and me likes to think that our legislators really want good things for the lay public. And it that was not true in that room that day. So when the law ultimately was passed, I was actually out of town at, at a conference and I was so upset. And I was like, I just, I want to tell as many people as possible why this is wrong. So I talked to my uh, sister who is part of a grassroots um, activism organization. And she said, well, there's these people who are putting together this rally. It's just lay citizens. It wasn't like an organization. She said, do you want me to just give them your name? And I said, absolutely. I want a bullhorn and I want to talk about how abortion is really normal and shouldn't be regulated in a way that is different than other medical procedures. And so we got to go to a central area in Kansas City. And I think it's about Two to 3,000 people came and we marched and, you know, said the things that we wanted to say, which was very affirming to have so much of my community. And I recognized a lot of the people there. Um, actually, I had a patient come up after me right after the rally and say, hi, and thank you so much for speaking, which was like, wow, that's so that's so great. But it, what I really wanted to communicate is that abortion is a normal part of healthcare. It is very, very common and very safe. 
and it has been targeted in a way that is that is wholly unnecessary. When Dr. French says that this was wholly unnecessary, I wanted to know what that meant to her as a physician, because of course, you know, I see abortion restrictions as wholly unnecessary because I think all humans should have bodily autonomy. That's kind of the reproductive justice framework. I think that people should be able to make their own decisions and that legislators have no business making laws about people's um, bodies and reproductive care and realities. Um, But I wanted to know kind of from Dr. French's perspective, like why did she think legislators were passing these laws and why did she think they were so problematic? Um, I mean, these are just opinions and I, it's, it's hard to like have all my opinions cause I live my life and my profession so much grounded in evidence. Um, I think that for many of our elected officials, it's like a checkbox to say, I am opposed to abortion and I have done these things and therefore you should vote for me. So I will just make sure that I am as opposed to abortion as I can be. And since it's already so restricted, anything else to to have ongoing opposition to abortion just makes it even more restricted. I don't think it has anything to do with actual safety. I, I know it doesn't have anything to do with actual safety because none of the laws that have been proposed have any data to support that they improve the safety of abortion. Well, and something that I think about is, you know, the the data on how common abortion is, is that one in four women will access an abortion in their lifetime. And in the United States, we have roughly one in four deliveries are d- done by C-section. It might be a little bit more than that. And in rural Kansas and in rural Missouri, you can get a C-section at any not any, but the vast majority of regional hospitals where women deliver. And a C-section is a much more complicated procedure than a first trimester abortion. And it seems that if they're roughly equal in how common they are for women, they should be roughly equal in how available they are for women to access. Thanks so much to Dr. Valerie French for being on the 50 Feminist States podcast. I'm so appreciative of her viewpoints and insights on abortion in Missouri and Kansas and really excited to kind of share those perspectives. We'll talk more about abortion in this season, especially when we get to Tennessee. There I interviewed Cherise Scott of Sister Reach, a reproductive justice organization in Memphis, and her perspective, I think, will add even more nuance to this conversation. So I'm so appreciative of Valerie for kind of opening this and for sharing her perspective as a physician with me, and I'm so excited for this conversation to continue in a different state in another episode of this season. Thanks so much to you for tuning in, dear listeners to season three of the 50 Feminist States podcast. As always, please rate and review us on iTunes so that we can get a little bump in those podcast charts, maybe get a few new listeners. Also, please follow us on Instagram at 50 Feminist States. That's F-I-F-T-Y Feminist States. Go ahead and share this episode with a friend if you liked it. Let's get more folks into the 50 Feminist States family and really build the community of people supporting not only this podcast, but the work of all of the advocates activists and artists that we're featuring here. I think that everyone should know more about each of the people and their communities that are featured here. And you can help do that work by sharing episodes with a friend or two, whether it's this one or another one. There are a whole lot to choose from over at 50feministdates.com slash podcast. Can't wait till next week when we'll be in Arkansas. Got a whole bunch of great conversations for you to hear there. Until then, I'll see you on the road. Cinquanta anni
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50 Feminist States. Special thanks to Danielle Signs and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.